Today we move into the magnus opus of the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. It might not just be the magnus opus of this book, but even the magnus opus of the whole book, the Bible. We're going to spend several weeks here, but today I want to begin by asking you that question, what does God think of you? And try to be honest. What does God think of you? What does God think of you right now with your ongoing struggles, failures, and sins? At least, what do you think God thinks about you in your ongoing struggles, failures, and sins? Over the last 20 months, there's been much to be revealed to us. And when I mess up and go to God, what do I expect him to say? Do I expect him to say, I know you messed up, Justin. That's why I gave you the law. Now I'm going to be watching you. Deke's been doing this little thing with us where he takes his fingers and he he does this to me and Danette and tells us he's watching us. It's like you know, De Niro's circle of trust in uh, uh, the Meet Your Parents movie. If you say you really love me, we sometimes think that this is what God does. He's watching us. He's inviting us into the circle of trust only if we can prove we belong there. Show it. I mean, just yesterday I found myself in deep thought about my sin and how could God really love me. Even though I've been preaching through Romans and reading gentle and lowly and hearing all these things about how God loves me and there's no condemnation, I continue to feel condemned. So the big idea for us today is there is now no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation. That word, therefore, it's that connect word we are to ask when we see it, what's it there for? Well, two weeks ago, we talked about this wrestling, this wrestling that Paul is describing both for anybody who's under the law, whether a Christian or a non-Christian, what you do, you don't want to do, and you do the things that you hate. And the resulting question that Paul asks is, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from doing what we don't want, from not doing what we do? Who will deliver us from that? It's like uh, we are like the characters in the movie Weekend at Bernie's. I know this is an old movie. Many of you may have not seen this. But if you've seen it, it's about these two guys who go to their boss's place in the Hamptons for the weekend. While they're there, their boss dies. But the guys don't want the party to stop. So they drag around their dead body, the body of their dead boss, making it look like their boss is still alive. And it's hilarious and it's crude, but um, I want you to have that image in your mind this morning. Dragging around a dead body that is attached to you, trying to make it appear as if it's alive. Propping it up, putting sunglasses on it, dressing it, attaching strings to the arms to construct its body movements, trying to get it to be alive, but wanting so much to be rid of the thing altogether. That's what Paul is expressing at the end of Romans 7. He is exasperated about this body of death that he drags around like the boss at Weekend at Bernie's. Who will deliver me from this thing? Why do I keep pretending like this thing is alive? And then he says, thanks be to God in Christ. Because even as we don't do what we wished we could, and even as we are doing what we wish we wouldn't, right here in that moment, in the moment of our sinning, 
the resulting ugging over our sin, the resulting of here in the middle of self-hatred and loathing of our sin, right in the middle of dragging this dead body of self-righteous condemnation around, right there God declares, there is therefore now no condemnation. Now, in the middle of all this not doing and doing what we don't want, there is now no condemnation. Friends, none of us live like this is true. And that's why we desperately need to hear it. We live as if we are still under condemnation far too often. We live as if we're still on a spiritual death row, as if we are still in sin and under sin's curse. How do you know if you are living as if you are under condemnation? Where have you this week, this morning, lived with condemnation? My friend Luke Evans helped me with this, but Here's some re- ways that you know, you can know you're living under condemnation. The first is you have deep shame and guilt over your past. So the way this plays out is you replay in your head over and over past indiscretions and shortcomings. You refuse to receive forgiveness you refuse to receive, forgive yourself. You are constantly running away from the things you've done or people you've hurt or decisions you've made. So you drink too much to forget, which causes you to have more shame and more guilt. Or you work yourself into oblivion so you won't dwell on it only to see that the shame and guilt doesn't leave, or you bow up with this steely resolve and iron to never go there again. But when you do go there again, the most immediate first thought is you are condemned. Living under condemnation is deep shame and guilt about your past. Second thing is living under condemnation looks like a deep defensiveness and irritability towards people when you are critiqued. You can't handle people calling out your sins and challenging you, asking you to repent because it destroys you on the inside. Now this usually happens, by the way, not with some stranger, although it can be there. It usually happens with those who are closest to you where you feel their scrutiny and critique. And that can be either directly where they say something to you and you bow up in defensiveness, you puff yourself out, you have to try to make yourself big. I'm not going to do a lot of Ted Lasso references, but they're coming. So if you, if you haven't watched, be ready for them. But like you make yourself feel big so you don't feel so condemned and critiqued in those moments. Or... You make yourself smaller, as small as you can be in those moments. 
You can't handle people calling out your sins and challenging you and asking you to repent because it destroys that part of you on the inside. You are already condemned. You have been condemning yourself. You live with this sense of dread internally, and to hear someone else criticize you tears down the castle of yourself even more. It's like in the movie Inception when they're in the dream and the dreamer starts trying to get them out. The entire city just begins to collapse on them. This is what criticism does to you, even when it's constructive and loving. If you're living under self-condemnation, any sort of criticism feels like the building falling in on yourself. You think to yourself and maybe even say out loud, I know, I know, I know, just leave me alone. I can't talk about this. Because you feel condemned. Living under condemnation looks like hiding your true self from others and not letting anyone in. Why do we do that? Why do we keep relationships to the surface? Because you're afraid that the real you will come out and if people get too close, they will treat you the way you treat yourself. They won't want to be around you anymore. They won't tolerate your shortcomings. They won't stand, up, stand by you when you screw everything up again. So you can't open up. The risk is too great. You feel condemned. And in that condemnation, you run away and run away and run away. And that becomes the story of your life. Last, living under condemnation means you believe God thinks of you what you usually think of yourself. That you're no good, that you're a real mess, that you're unlovable, that you're not worth knowing, that your life is a colossal waste of space. Living under condemnation means you listen to yourself too much. You say, I'm not doing enough as a student or a son or a daughter or as a friend. Why do I stink at this so much? And then you get into your online world and you see someone flex about how great they are and then you feel by their flexing on their greatness, condemnation. You say, I'm not as gifted as that person. My family doesn't get along like they seem to get along. God possibly can't possibly use me. You say, that person was able to quit smoking and drinking and eating sugar and go cold turkey. They lost 35 pounds in three days. I can't do that because I'm weak and prone to temptation. And then you translate your self-talk into what you believe God is saying about you. Your mental image of God in heaven is him looking at you with either mild disappointment on his face as he shakes his head or extreme hatred and disdain as he closes the door on you again and again, and again. You don't listen to the Spirit speaking through His Word. You listen instead to yourself. So your inner critic and God's voice become the same thing, and you feel condemned. Beloved, how much do we need to savor these words this morning? Like a meal that you don't get very often. So you sit there and Chew and enjoy the delight. I want you to bask in the reality right now where you sit. If you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. We sometimes think that there there used to be no condemnation for us, but then we messed up. And now we've brought the condemnation upon us. 
What messes did you make this week where you found yourself, well, I used to be not condemned, but now? What were the things you thought of this week when you thought about what God thinks of you? When you failed and then you live under the condemnation of that failure. That's my biggest fear, by the way, failure. It's how I feel often most condemned when I fail. If you are in Christ, you can never, ever come under condemnation again. Condemnation in you will never meet again. Jesus died for all your past sins and all your present sins, for all your failures in the future. No failure, no sin is so strong that Jesus' blood does not quiet it. We also think that, there's, that, that there, will be no, there will be no condemnation for us. Like once we get to heaven, all will be well. But right now, right now, I just stink. All of this, with all of this, you look around and then you look within you and it's a powerful word to you. You look at yourself now and you're like, no, I know one day that will be true of me. But right now, right now the condemnation laps all over me. But God says in Christ there is now condemn, no, now no condemnation. Right now, you are loved by God. Right now, because of the gift of justification in Christ, God doesn't count your sin against you. Right now, he delights in you and sings over you and rejoices over you. Right now, he has deep affection for you. Right now, he wants to be near you and close to you and experience relationship with you. Right now, he does not get flustered and frustrated when you come to him for fresh forgiveness or renewed pardon with distress and need and emptiness. Right now... He accepts you. Right now, God says to you that your, your past cannot condemn you. Your present cannot condemn you. Your future cannot condemn you. God says this right now. There's no condemnation when you believe this the first time. There is no condemnation now as you believe. And there will never be any condemnation for you ever again. Ever again. Say that in your head. There will never be condemnation for me ever again. Not a little condemnation. Not less condemnation. No, no condemnation. It's not condemnation and then we mess up again. No, there's no condemnation. Period. End of story. And there's never ever going to be any condemnation. Do you believe this? How can this be? Should be the question we ask. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul's saying. I think I passed this slide, but it's because we are in Christ. That's Paul's shorthand for the gospel, by the way. There is now no condemnation for you, not because you have never done anything meriting condemnation. Right? That's what our world says to the answer of condemnation, is that we don't ever do anything worth condemning. But the minute we do something worth condemning, we are condemned. But the Bible says to us something different. We merited condemnation. And we even as we tried to work to get ourselves out of the place of condemnation into a place of acceptance, there, there was even condemnation for us. There is no condemnation now 
for you because of one thing, one person, you are connected to Jesus. You got his record and he took your record. You get his sinlessness and he gets your sinfulness. You get his righteousness and he gets your unrighteousness. He transferred you entirely, all of his perfection and holiness and goodness. He transferred that to you and you transferred to him entirely all your imperfection, unholiness, and wickedness. That happened when you believe the gospel, that the death and the resurrection of Jesus brings forgiveness and a new standing for you. It brought that to you. If you haven't believed, this can happen for you right now and forever if you connect to Jesus by faith. When you transfer your trust for fleeing condemnation, for unleashing your condemnation, for getting rid of that condemnation, if you Give that to Jesus, that condemnation. He transfers to you acceptance. That's why hearing this message is the power of salvation to anyone who believes. Paul says it in verse 3, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus was sent by God to do what we could not do and what the law could not do. He came in the flesh. Why? For sin in order to condemn sin in the flesh. God sends his preexistent son for salvation into the world to take us out of Adam and put us into Christ. God sent God to do what only God can do, but he sent God in the flesh. We are bound to the body of death in the old Adam, weakened at Bernie's. That's who we are, dragging around this body of death, faking it until we make it. But then the Son comes in the flesh, alive. In the likeness of sinful man, Christ takes on our very nature, not any other nature, but our very own nature. And the critical difference is we yielded to sin's dominion in our bodies and Christ obeyed God's word in our body. Christ obeyed where we disobeyed. So James Edwards says the son entered humanity with a nature like Adam's before the fall. It was possible for him not to sin, though for all others it was not possible not to sin. As a human being, Jesus was tempted by sin, and he could have sinned, but he was not subject to sin as humanity was subject to it in Adam. Where the first Adam disobeyed, the last Adam obeyed. And whereas our yielding to sin brought our condemnation, Christ's obedience to God brings sin's condemnation. And the mission and goal of the incarnation was to be a sin offering. God did not send the Son primarily as a moral reformer. He didn't come to just reform our morals to make us good acting people. The essential aspect of the incarnation is not ethical but sacerdotal he condemned sin and sinful man before humanity can live it it must be freed from death we didn't just need a better model for how to live we needed to be saved from our bodies of death and that's what christ has done it's christ who liberates us when we are placed into christ by faith this is why there is no condemnation a better law has been enacted 
by Christ. Look at verses 2 and 4. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. You see, the spirit unites us to Christ. The spirit puts us into Christ and seals us up in Christ. And by doing this, he brings us freedom. The Spirit makes our redemption efficacious. Remember that word. That's what the gift of the gospel of grace does. It's efficacious. It makes sure that redemption sticks to us and we stick to redemption. It makes sure that we are stuck to Christ and Christ is stuck to us. The Spirit salvages in that act the law. Now, don't miss this because this is going to be really important as we work our way through the rest of Romans. The Spirit salvages the law as a moral standard, according to Edwards, in order that the righteous requirement of law might be fully met in us who don't walk according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. See, the law demands what it can't provide, but those who live in Christ by the Spirit are then enabled by that same Spirit to acknowledge the true intent of the law and are empowered to then walk in it. Jesus has conquered sin, and Jesus has now condemned sin so that sin can no longer condemn us. And now we are freed by the Spirit to walk according to the Spirit. The Greek word for walk here is peripateo. Now, we, I mentioned this several weeks ago, but we use that word for prefects like periscope and perimeter. It means around. Pateo is the word for path. We get patio from this word. Its root is pat, which literally means to strike or to make an imprint. When Paul says we walk by the Spirit, we are marching around beating a path, and that path creates a deep rut. The pat becomes, if we are in the flesh, that pat becomes a pit over time, and there's no escape for us in and of ourselves. Psalms 40 verses 1 to 3 come to mind. The desperation for deliverance is now more clearly understood. In waiting, I waited for the Lord. He turned to me, he heard my cry, David says. Out of the pit, he lifted me. He did it. I couldn't climb out of this on my own. There was no ladder for me to get out. I was helpless and hopeless except for in God. So when we walk in the flesh, we end up cutting a path. That path becomes a rut, which then becomes a pit. We often choose this path and walk according to the flesh, treading along like weekend at Bernie's, cuffed to our dead body, trying to resuscitate life into it, walking along three-legged race style with it. Walking in the flesh instead of walking by the Spirit. Now Jim, my counselor, was here a few weeks ago. He preached and he said something to this effect. But he says, this is the path we cut in the flesh. There is this deep fleshly functionality to our sin. Our sin nature behavior works to provide for us denial of God. According to Romans 1, unrighteous behavior suppresses the truth of God, his character and his ways. It functions to justify us being faithless. We become self-protective, self-righteous, self-reliant. Therefore, shaming, demanding, insisting, conjoling, focusing on our behavior or someone else's behavior is an attempt for us to get them to stop it. And it's ineffective. It's another gospel. It's a heavy burden. It's a hard yoke. 
It's antithetical to the gospel of grace, what we've been talking about. It's putting ourselves into a different union, yoking ourselves to a Savior that might bring relief, but also with it brings condemnation, and it's not good news. So what Paul is telling us here, our flesh is dead and attached But going back to find life in this dead body part, apart from God, is walking in the flesh. It's a dead uh, us chained alive to a dead body that cuts a deep pit. So we need to be rescued and set on a different path to create a life-giving rut that leads to life and rest. What does it take to live according to the Spirit? Well, what Paul says in verse 4, walking in the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit, it takes, Paul will say this over and over and over again to us, it takes faith to supersede our flesh. As you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, Paul says. Or walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walking in the Spirit implies movement, pneuma, wind, direction. Rather than being stuck in the pit, we beat that better path. And it frees us to move with intentionality and purpose. There's no being stuck, demanding life again from that which can't give me life but only death. In Psalm 40, David says, He set my feet upon the rock, making my footsteps secure. That rock we know now is Jesus. On Jesus, which we have been placed to in Christ, we can walk by the Spirit and move forward. This is the freedom of life in the Spirit. Notice the flow. You've been placed onto the rock that is Christ. Christ has beaten a better path, so now you can walk in Him. Now the freedom from the flesh releases us from demanding comfort from our false gods, demanding life from that which I would not do, as Paul exclaimed. And since there is also no condemnation for having gone there, and I don't miss this, we can view our stories of adultery, immorality, and individualism honestly. We can look at our stories and our past honestly. We don't have to run from our past. We don't have to live under the guilt and shame from our past, but we can look at it honestly and say, like, this is who I am. This is who I was. I do continually want these things. I constantly struggle with trying to find relief in these lusts, but I haven't been put into Christ, but I've been put into Christ by the Spirit, and now I'm free from those things. And this freedom means there's no condemnation for having been there. And now I can minister to others from this place. Others who have gone there like I used to go there. Or those who are going there like I went there or will go there again. All those places which I would not do what I want to do and I do what I don't want to do. All those places I'm not condemned. Because I'm not condemned, I can go there with others to bring the gospel to them and to me as I do. And in that way, we walk in the Spirit and bring freedom in life for me and for others. And let me add, if you want to experience the grace of there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, we need to see that the life of faith is a life of disappointment. Here's what I mean. The reality is is that we, in this life, there really is pain of unmet needs. You and I both have them. Like we really do have hungers that are meant to be satisfied in Christ as we are carried along by the Spirit. 
But the existential realities is that we have an unsatiated hunger in this life. Like you and I have desires that are not satisfied in the flesh. Yes, Jesus is enough, but in this life, as we weekend at Bernie's this thing, our flesh cries out to us, and we feel very real things that go unsatisfied. Even as we know that our hearts find rest in God, in fact, to find the rest, we will need to live with the disappointment of my unquenched thirst in my flesh. Paul will say this next week, put those desires to death. And one of the ways we do this is understanding at the outset, disappointment is part of a life of faith. Faith is seeing when you can't see. When you can see, faith isn't required. To see when we can't see, we go back and remember when God delivered us. We go back to the promises of God. We bank on that grace, on those promises that he will deliver us, wretched men and women that we are, that there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ. We bank on that reality. What we would rather do in those moments is see. So we attempt to see by finding relief in gods that we can see. But disappointment, not having our flesh gratified, is the life of faith. Setting your mind on the Spirit and the things of the Spirit, hear me, is realizing the things that provide relief are idols and feed the flesh. And the things that provide rest are of the Spirit, but they are acquired only by faith. And that means living in this place where our flesh and the needs of our flesh won't be fulfilled. So when I'm disappointed disappointed and can't see, you know what I do? I go to the internet and buy things. So this summer, when I can't see and was struggling, I went to the internet and bought a solo stove. And I've been an evangelist for the solo stove ever since. But, like, that's what I do. It's not all bad, necessarily, but that's, I'm seeking relief instead of finding rest. I'm groaning under the weight of life, and instead of groaning it out with God, which we'll talk about in Romans 8, and live in disappointment, I buy stuff. And distinguishing this and seeing this is hard because I don't want to see it. I don't want that to be true of me. And when I do it, I condemn myself for doing it. So to get out of the rut, we need grace, which God supplies in abundance in all manners of ways. To think we can just stop it is like trying to kill a tree by picking the leaves off. That's called pruning, and it actually just helps the tree grow better. No, we must realize our helplessness and our hopelessness over sin, and that's the place to start because that's where God gives grace to us, the humble. One image for this connection to Jesus, this union with with Jesus that results in the disappearance of condemnation that I found helpful is to think about Jesus as your home. In fact, Jesus himself speaks this way, John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and will come to him and make a home with him. Similarly, Jesus says in John 15, 4, abide in me or make a home in me and I in you. When we connect to Jesus in faith, when we believe the gospel, We move out of the home of fear and condemnation 
into the house of faith and grace. Now have that image before you, moving. Our problem is that many of us profess our faith in God's love and grace, but we still live in this place of fear and condemnation. Jesus tells us to make our home in him, and he makes his home in us. He asks us to get used to living in his house, to living in this home where there is no condemnation. Home is not just, by the way, some heavenly mansion of gold in the sky, in the afterlife. It's a safe place right now in the midst of our anxious world. Being home in Jesus, connected to him in faith, means that we don't have to be afraid. It means we can have We can be confident of the Lord's hospitality making room for us, inviting us in and loving us. Now, one of the sad things, if you drive through some of the major cities in the United States, especially in the West, and even Albuquerque right now, is the massive homeless camps that are cropping up. It's a travesty of public policy, by the way, but it's also a picture of what it looks like to live apart from Jesus. Now, not literally, but think of this more spiritually. We look to make a home in places that are not really a home. This is what it looks like to live under condemnation and in bondage. And to live this way as a Christian is to move out of our home in Christ and go back to living on the street. Listen to Brennan Manning. We seek a safe place through alcohol or drugs or security and success, competence, friends, pleasure, notoriety, knowledge, and even a little religion. We seek a safe place in those places. We have become strangers to ourselves, people who have an address but are never at home, who never hear the voice of love or experience the freedom of God's children. To those of us who feel this way, who feel spiritually homeless because we try to make our home in things or people other than God, Jesus says, you have a home. I am your home. I want you to be with me. I give you my approval for free. I am with you. I love you right now forever. There is no condemnation. So come home. If you are in Christ, you should never again experience fear or apprehension about your secure relationship with God, about your eternal future. God has already made up his mind about you. He is in your favor because you are in Christ. You don't have to do one more thing as long as you live to get God's attention. You could not be more loved. Imagine your three-year-old daughter has a coloring book and a box of crayons. And for Father's Day, she presents you with her drawing. She approaches you with a proud smile that only a three-year-old can muster. And she shows you the pictures that she's labored over with her marvelous imagination. It's a landscape picture. It's an impressionist picture. She has colored the sun black and the grass purple and the sky green. And in the lower right corner, she's added floating squares and circles. On the left is a penelope of colorful squiggles. And to you, as her dad, it looks like a Van Gogh. Why? Because your child cannot do bad coloring. 
The response of the father is not depended on the worthiness of the drawing. It's depended upon the love flowing from your heart for his child. A father is delighted when his little one runs home to him and climbs into his arms and feels safe and at home. That is the heart of God for you in Christ. His compassion and love is not in any way determined by what you have done or will do or what you have not done or will not do. It's determined by what Jesus has done. There's a poem that says this, For there Christ is the king's attorney who pleads for all without degrees. And he hath angels, but no fees. And when the grand twelve million jury of our sins with direful fury against our soul black verdicts give, Christ pleads his death, and then we live. Even when the twelve million jury of our sin brings charges and the wages of sin is death, and we see our souls as the very stain that they are, corrupt with sin, the verdict comes out with Christ's death, innocent, forgiven, clean, righteous. There is now no condemnation. Christ is the attorney here, defending us with his death that paid for our sins. So if he is the one who has the authority to bring the charges and he has dealt with those charges, then I say again, there is now no condemnation. And you may be running this morning and you might think you're condemned, like God is waiting to snuff you out. You may even think you've done everything in your power to separate yourself from God. But there is good news, Jesus is your home. And that home you can always run back to because in Christ, you can never really leave like the Hotel California, weirdly. Will you come home? Will you leave your house of fear? Will you leave your house of condemnation? That is not your place. Jesus invites you home to a place of no condemnation, to a place where the Father will greet you with robe and ring and throw a party to a place where the freedom of the Spirit awaits. So this morning, I say to you, come. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would help us to live under the true declaration of who we are, of what you have in store for us. There is therefore now no condemnation. Your banner over us is love. So let us run to your table this morning as forgiven and accepted and loved, never, ever, 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 ever condemned. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.